the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour, um, I, I've been looking for a, a, a word to encompass what she does, and all I can come up with is anthologist. <laughs> but but we're going to... Uh, kick things around a little bit with journalist, writer, uh, author, storyteller, Pamela Burke, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Pam. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Tom. It's a pleasure. Um, I, I don't... Uh, does two anthologies make someone an anthologist? You know, I haven't been described that way before, but I'm going <laughs> to use that. <laughs> that but, makes sense. <laughs> but but you have a new one, uh, a second anthology that uh, yes. that you're launching this month uh, called 20 Women Storytellers, Taking Action with Powerful Words and Images. But this is a, a follow-up to your anthology, 20 Women Changemakers, Taking Action Around the World. Is there much overlap between the two, and and what made you decide to anthologize women in this way? Well, there's a little overlap, but the second book, which is about storytellers, is really concentrating on documentarians, on uh, journalists, on broadcasters, on women in the media more, because we do a lot of interviews on my website called The Women's Eye with these women as well. Our whole focus is women that are changing the world in significant ways, in interesting ways, in amazing ways. And the first book really concentrated on women that are running nonprofits and starting business and saving the world in amazing ways. And I just thought there was another book to be done with these women in the media, all kinds of media, 
that are really telling stories that we may not have uh, have heard about before. Now, are these typically contemporary uh, women, or is this throughout history? Because I would argue that women have been changing the world and and telling interesting stories uh, since the beginning of time, but maybe are only now beginning to get some recognition. These are contemporary women. We could certainly do an anthology of the others, but these are women that we have interviewed in the last few years. On our, We oh. had a radio show in Phoenix for five yeah. years, and we now do podcasts. So these are women that in some cases you've heard of, but in most cases you haven't, that are telling stories that are really meaningful and that are really changing uh, the way we look at the world. Um, I'm very impressed by them. What are what are some examples? I, I know there's, uh, um, oh, let's see, uh, Kim Covington, uh, broadcaster turned activist. Uh, oh, right. and and um, <laughs> Betsy West and Julie Cohen. Yes, we thought when that documentary documentary that came out RBG a couple years ago. I loved that. That was that was. Terrific. We, what we want to do is find out what makes these women want to do their projects, what they get out of their projects, why they're doing their projects. So we got to interview them very early on, and they uh, have been journalists for many years, but they found out through their research more about the impressive record of this Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that she brought these six cases to the Supreme Court and won five and really charted a course to create equality for the genders. So they were off and running. They knew they had great material. They, they contacted uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and their documentary almost won the Academy Award. Yeah, well, it was, so, an, it was an amazing um, piece of work, and, and a great, of course, they had good material to work with because... RBG yes, was they made, notorious. They, 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 <laughs> they brought humanity into this woman. They talked about her relationship with her husband. It was so supportive. They talked about. They talked to people whose cases she had won for them. I think they gave her a human dimension that we might not have seen before. How many women did you look at before picking 20? Well, over... The last decade, and it's been 10 years since I've been doing this website, we've done about 300 podcasts or radio interviews. So we had a lot to pick from, uh, but I really wanted to concentrate on the more the journalists this time, the women that were out there all over the world, sometimes, in many cases, risking their lives to tell the stories. So... Yes, I could do another book. <laughs> I'd love to. But, you know, you have to pick and choose, and we start somewhere, and then we move on, you know? Well, like, um, you know, I mentioned uh, Clarissa Ward, uh, Emmy-winning, yes. uh, or or did I? Um, she's in the book, uh, Emmy-winning CNN correspondent and an author in her own right. Yes, and she was really interesting. We got her on the phone in Europe just as she was about to leave her two children, one recently born and one about two, to go off uh, to cover some international uh, war that was going on, I believe, in Syria. So 
she feels she has a calling, as is, as is the case in many of these women. They want to tell the story. They will do whatever they can to get it, and they want to show the human part of the story. They don't necessarily want to show the guns. They want to show the people that have been hurt, the people that are either surviving or need help. We find that over and over again, which I don't think people understand that so much about these correspondents. They're not just there to cover stories. They're really there to to make change if they can. You've had a lot of experience in, in media yourself um, at uh, NBC and, and Lifetime Cable Network, USA, USA Today, the television show, and, and more. Yes. Um, what, what made you decide to, to stop living your own story and, and telling other women's <laughs> stories? And I, I know I put it a little awkwardly, but... <laughs> no, that's a good question. You know, I love the media. I love journalism. I've been doing it since I was eight, I think. Uh, and I wanted to do something that would connect people in a different way. And I'd done a lot of television production, and I thought... Well, now we have the Internet. What can we do? What kind of a website can I build uh, to really focus on people that are doing positive things? Because at the time, we were kind of going through a slump in this country. And, uh, uh, you know, the financial situation was bad, and uh, people were losing jobs. Uh, So I wanted to do something very positive, something that would put people into action or show how others were taking action in spite of the odds. So... I just decided to build a website and go from there. And so I go to the uh, Cronkite School of Journalism here in Phoenix, and I learn how to build a website. And then I just started in. I wanted to focus on the good. And that's what we, we try to do it every day. There's a Cronkite School of Journalism in Phoenix? I'm yes, it's a wonderful school that I did not know about until I moved to Phoenix. Yeah, It's I, an excellent, it, it, excellent journalism school. Years ago, when I was on the road as a musician, there was a, a, a city that we played in, and their local uh, news had an anchor who I swear studied under Walter Cronkite. And there were billboards of the guy all over town, and, and we just started, you know, we were there for a few weeks, and we started calling him Walter. Um, <laughs> and 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 I now it makes me wonder now now that I've learned about this school in Phoenix if maybe he was one of the first students there. You you know what's amazing about the school is that when you walk into the the facilities it's they're better than any broadcasting studio I've been in around the country. They have state of the art uh, facilities, cameras, and they have a wonderful collection of Cronkite uh, memorabilia. His old cameras from the 50s, pouches where they used to uh, put film in to ship from city to city. It's really a uh, wonderful museum. If you ever get to Phoenix, you've got to go there. Well, yeah, it's it's that just made my bucket list, Pam. Thanks for that. <laughs> it just keeps getting longer and longer. No, but how lucky was I moving to Phoenix and finding that great place and uh, learning how to really maneuver within this Internet world. And that's interesting um, because we don't associate Walter Cronkite with the new technology. No, but it's there. Uh, If you want to tell an Instagram story, you learn how to do it there. 
if you want to, they do a half-hour news program every night to Phoenix, which is excellent. It's all about what goes on in Arizona, and this is a pretty interesting state right now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What what attracted you to Arizona? And from where? You know, I had worked in Los Angeles for many, many years. I worked in New York. Um, I uh, just thought that this might be a good city to explore, and some of my family were here. And I found it to be a very exciting city. Lots of entrepreneurial people here, people coming in from all parts of the country. They're really building up downtown. They have this journalism school. ASU is quite incredible now. It's truly the school of innovation. So there's a lot of change going on here. Well, tell um, we've got a couple of minutes before we go to break, and I, I hope, Pam, that you'll stick around through the break and, and we can talk some more on the other side. But in the, uh, in the couple of minutes that we have, can you tell me a little bit more about the women's eye? Yes, well, as I said, a decade ago I decided I'm going to build a website that really focuses on we, we, women that make a difference. I've always been interested in women's magazines. I started out at Life magazine. I thought there's got to be some way to put all this information together um, I could have had it uh, for men, too, but I thought, I'm going to concentrate on women right now because I've done a lot of programming and broadcasting about women's issues and women profiles. So uh, I started in, and um, we're 300 interviews from beginning to end right here, and we're now doing podcasts. We're exploring all kinds of ways to tell stories. That's thus... 20 William Storytellers, which I think storytelling is really what people are talking about now. People are telling their stories. They're telling stories in greater depth than I think they ever have. And that seems um, counter the, the normal communications where everything seems to be whittled down to sound bites. Yes. No, I love doing the long form. And I think maybe slowly it will come back because people want stories that are more in-depth. They want to... The 50-second soundbite is not enough. We don't get enough understanding of what's going on in these small soundbites. At least, it's a way I can tell stories longer, and our podcasts are longer, and our stories are 2,000 to 3,000 words. So we really can get in-depth and find out the why, the where, what we can do about issues. I love it. Well, it's Pam, it's nice to know that there are more people out there like me that, that like the long-form interview where you have a chance to, to really get into it and, and dig down on, on stories and not just do headline stuff. Yes. No, I think that what you can do on radio is very similar. You have more time. You have the opportunity to really dig deeper as you say we like doing radio we did i think people i think people listen i think people listen longer than they'll watch don't you yes i think they get more involved maybe well i want to hear the story i i I think there's there's something about the the visual medium uh, you know television and 
and uh, other kinds of, of video work that that draws you in, but you can only stay with it for so long. I think you can listen longer to radio. Um, we have to take a break here, Pam, but please stand by, and we'll uh, talk some sure. more on the other side. We'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org. 
or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with uh, the author of uh, a new anthology that's just out this month, um, following uh, Women's History Month, called uh, 20 Women Storytellers Taking Action with Powerful Words and Images by uh, my, uh, my guest this hour, Pamela Burke. And uh, Pam joins me by phone. Hi, Pam. Thanks for, uh, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No, no problem. Um, we just kind of brushed up against this during the last segment, but um, do women storytellers tell stories differently than men, do you think? You know, that's a great question. I think it depends on the woman, but I know that they are interested in pouring their hearts out in many cases. That's been my experience. And I think that that might not be as easy to come by with men. I think some men do, some men don't. But I think that now women are in this very much of a sharing mode. They want to share their life. They want to talk about things that have seldom been talked about before. It just seems to be in the air more. Uh, maybe it's the economic situation. Maybe it's the isolation. Certainly people are feeling during this pandemic. So any way they can connect, they do. And, and and this is really parenthetical to our discussion, Pam, but you've been in broadcasting a long time. Why does it seem when I watch uh, network and, and local news that, that the women broadcasters sound like they're plugging their nose you, is, is that something <laughs> is is that something that's that's taught or expected am i hearing things wrong could it be the microphone we have yeah. loads of microphone problems here with the uh, podcast <laughs> i don't know if it's the microphones or if it's the transmission i don't know what it is i don't know it's it's there's just there's almost something about the way they try to articulate for broadcast that um that that strikes me as a little odd sometimes and and i, I feel well, like you have broadcasters ears so you notice it probably more than other people even may, you know? maybe that's maybe that's true pam i you know and um i and there are some wonderful reporters and anchors but it it just strikes me as they're they all sound remember when um uh, Lorraine Newman used to do stand-up yes. in front of the White House for Saturday Night Live. They they sound like that voice that she did. <laughs> yeah, but that was Saturday Night Live. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> Saturday Night Live, I think, was making fun of something that they had heard along the way. But Yes, uh, no, I agree. You know, we do a lot of journalists, many of whom are not in broadcasting. So the, the broadcasters are a whole separate category, I think. Well, that's why I said it was kind of parenthetical to our 
our, <laughs> our discussion about about the book. Um, I want to get back to uh, again to the selection because a lot of these uh, women are award winners and yet still not right. very well known. Yes, I don't know whether they don't promote themselves or we just don't notice them, but I'm here to notice them because their work is excellent and their awards are certainly well-deserved, and they work hard. This is a relentless profession, as you know. Well, yeah, and and also I think um, until very recently, um, women were not taken seriously as storytellers, which is why you have a lot of authors like... Oh, like like Rowling, for example, who used their initials, so you can't, you couldn't tell it was a female who wrote the books. Yes, I think, and I could be wrong, that women are slow to to toot their own horns. I think they just plunge ahead more than anything else. We found that with many of these women. I was, I love their stories because I just hadn't heard them before. I didn't realize that. You know, in one case, you mentioned Kim, Kim Covington, who was a local broadcaster here in Phoenix for 30 years, who all of a sudden, she's, and she told her, she said, I love to tell stories. I live to tell stories. But I also live to take action telling the stories. I want, don't want to just tell the stories. I want to make sure that something happens from the stories. So she left broadcasting, and she is involved in a nonprofit here, taking that action that she really couldn't, do full-time working at a television station and and is is storytelling or has storytelling been in danger of becoming a lost art you know that's a good point possibly but i think it's coming back if it has been lost i think it's coming back i think that we're seeing and and, in fact Almost daily, I hear about people talking about telling stories. Ken Burns, for instance, talked a lot the other night because he has a new documentary about Ernest Hemingway coming out. And um, he talked about the importance of telling stories and delving into people so that we can learn how to prepare ourselves for the future. So he is so popular. And I think that these historical novels that people are writing now are kind of kind of coming into vogue. We want to know more about what makes people tick. That's just my observation. And I think it's terrific. I think so too. I, I'm I'm with you on that, Pam. I um, I but I come from a family of storytellers. That's that's what they did. You know, <laughs> they sit around the dinner table and and uh, and tell stories. And right. And that's something that. You know, a lot of people don't knew, don't do as much anymore with all of the abbreviated language that we've adopted. Right, and I'm not so sure people sit around the dinner table anymore that much. You know? Well, yeah, I used to have a little cartoon on the refrigerator when my kids were little, and it was it was this little boy tugging on his uh, mother's apron in the kitchen, and he said, "Mom, can we eat at the dinner table like those people on TV?" well maybe that's why people are telling more stories that we're so lacking the time to do what we need to do if people are running around they're they're taking their kids to daycare if they can uh we have very hectic lives so 
maybe this is a way to slow it down, take a breath, reflect. That's all good. When you were selecting the, the 20 women for the, the storyteller's book that's out um, this month, it was, um, there are 20 women storytellers. Which weighed heavier, the women that you wanted to spotlight or the stories they were telling? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, because we had met these women on podcasts in many cases or interviewed them, we, we truly had an affinity to all of them. We just liked their stories and we liked what they were trying to do. And we saw the need of really giving them a broader um, audience. So, yes, we, we really looked at what they were doing as storytellers more than anything. But I wanted a good cross-section also. I wanted women in all kinds of media. And I wanted bloggers because blogging is, is so relevant these days. It's not just women on camera. It's women writing at home in the middle of the night telling their story. So we have a couple of those here. Let me tell you, it was hard to get it to 20. Well, I, I would think, and it's an incredible screening process you have, Pam. it's it's a lot of work to come up with 20 people to put in the book (laughs) (laughs) i could have done more but but i i I thought that 20 really was a good cross-section we had done 20 women change makers and that felt good to me they were all of different backgrounds different um occupations different drives so it's the cross-section that I was really interested in more than anything. Was the storytelling um, that the women did that you focused on, was it tied to their their own personal interests and uh, experiences? Like you mentioned bloggers, and I know there, there are a ton of blogs by stay-at-home moms. That, yeah. that are offering advice and suggestions to other stay-at-home moms. Um, was it, was a lot of it that? Well, I think a lot of it was people uh, trying to connect. That's the bottom line, isn't it? That's what yeah. telling these stories is all about. They're reaching out. They're trying to... They're going beyond themselves. You know, people say we're in a very selfie area, that, that, you know, we're so involved in ourselves. Well, maybe this is an outgrowth of that. People want to connect. They want to reach across uh, to others in other countries, in other lands, in other professions, uh, across the street. I mean, I make an effort to talk to my neighbors, but I've always loved to talk to neighbors, but it's been harder and harder with COVID and with security and with all these different issues we face. So this is another way we can connect and we don't have to hurt ourselves, really. I, I, I'm really hopeful, as I'm sure you are, that as we, as we move forward and beyond the pandemic, that people spend more time talking to each other and, and widen their... Um, their audience you know it's not just the person next door but somebody down the street and 
you know, somebody that works in a different department than you do, and, and you, you spend more time talking to more people. Yes. Well, look at what uh, the iPhone has done to us. You know, look at what texting has done to us. It's great. It's allowed us to connect, but we don't really talk to human beings, do we? We're not no. really face-to-face. That's true, and and that's something I hope will we'll come back in the wake of this, maybe because people have been forced to stay in <laughs> that yes. that that maybe they'll they'll push it out more um, as if the the pandemic was the the culmination of that division well or, it's given us a good reason too hasn't it it really if this is a great impetus to do that to connect better to talk to your neighbor better. Yeah, it's it's almost like we were involved. we were working in that direction and becoming more distant, um, and then all of a sudden we were sort of forced to be distant. And and I I hope maybe we push back against that as we pull out of this. Yes. Um, well, people that listen to your radio show are wanting to connect, aren't they? Well, I hope. <laughs> you know, hope. I mean, you are a connector yourself. Well, I, I I like to think think so at least you know as far as my twelve listeners go. Um, right. No, but that's what's important about radio and all these different forms of communication that that brings us closer together, and I think that's important. When you uh, went to the publisher with your first anthology, Twenty Women Change Makers, was it a was it a tough sell, or or was the timing just really right? I think the timing is right for this kind of material because I think that there's a great emphasis on making a difference. I felt it. You know, I really felt it, especially being in Phoenix. I can't tell you all the nonprofits that are here and the people behind them in all kinds of different areas. I'd never been in a city like this before. Uh, it was really eye-opening to see all the people that were trying to make change. And I think that was part of the impetus for me. It's just a city that's on fire trying to do good. Are there some, uh, do you have some favorites out of the 20 women storytellers? Or um, is, is that one of those, like, asking a musician their favorite song? <laughs> you know, they're all my favorites. I hate to say that because I know that's not really... A, a great answer, but they are. They, I, I want people to meet them. I wish they could meet them in person because each one will, it just will open your heart and you will understand more about what you're reading and what people are caring about. They are so diverse. They are so diverse, each one of them, uh, from Lindsay Sievert in Minneapolis who was uh, a reporter for a local station, and she was covering a story about a school that was really failing there. But she went to the funeral of one of the kids that had died, and she saw the principal, and the principal was saying, we have got to stop this. We have got to find a way out of this misery. And from that moment on, she decided to follow that school for two years and do this documentary, Love Them First. And I saw the documentary, and I said, We've got to do a story on this woman. We've got to find out what made her cover it, what is her story. It turns out she had a couple of children and uh, a tough childbirth with one of them, and we got behind her motivation and to this wonderful story about this school that has really turned around. So that's an important story 
for me. Is that a favorite? Sure. But they're all like that. They all have great um, meaning behind them, in my estimation. Well, again, the the, uh, the anthology is called 20 Women Storytellers Taking Action with Powerful Words and Images. You included photographers as well. Yes, yes. Well, personally, I love photography. I worked for Life Magazine at one point, and I wanted to cover these photographers we were meeting whose pictures were really inspiring me. You know, every day we look at the newspapers or we read them online and we see these incredible pictures around the world. Uh, and I wanted to get to know some of them. And we get to know three of them here. One in um, Israel who um, grew up in Boston and just loved photography and said, it's my calling. I've got to travel the world and take pictures behind the line. She's a conflict photographer. That's what they call them these days. So I did two stories with her uh, because she's a mother with three children. I thought, now how does this mother with three children <laughs> go to the front lines <laughs> and take these pictures? What is that all about? So Heidi Levine is also in the book as a photographer. They are telling stories as much as people that are writing stories. And it's... Um and and it's important that a book like this happens because, especially with photographers, most people don't ever see the photo credit. No. No, and these are powerful pictures. And they, and they the may know without that words. They may know that they're looking at an incredible picture, but they don't always take the time to look down and see, you know, who took that picture. Right, and why they took the picture, and why they put themselves in such uh, dire circumstances to take the picture, why they take the risk. But we have Heidi Levine in the book, and also Clarissa Ward is another, uh, she's not a photographer, but she is one of these conflict reporters who will put herself into risky situations. Which is always amazing. Uh, you know, it, it was amazing when men started doing it, getting embedded with troops, and now women are doing it with uh, um, great frequency. And it that that is incredible work. And stories that wouldn't be told otherwise. Yes. No, they... I don't... I really... I, we, re, we interview these people. I still don't know how they do it. <laughs> It's a big risk when you go off with three children at home. So the book is coming out this month, uh, 20 Women Storytellers Taking Action with Powerful Words and Images. Um, what's, what's next, Pam? I, I mean, obviously you'll keep working with the women's eye, but do you have uh, plans for another anthology or, or more writing? Well, I hope so. Um, we still do podcasts. We did one yesterday. We do one that comes out every week. Uh, uh, I have two reporters and hosts, one in Las Vegas and one here in Phoenix, that continue to do them. So we that's kind of the radio we're doing right now. As I said, we were on radio here for five years. Um, and hopefully we'll, do, we'll continue to do all kinds of anthologies. I'd love to do a documentary myself, but... I'm busy right now, but I'm always open to new ways to tell stories. 
So you may find me in your neck of the woods one of these days. Just Detroit's a, a pretty interesting place. Yes, it is. Um, Pam, what? just out of curiosity, what radio station were you on in Phoenix? KPHX, which was sold. That's why we, we uh, went into the podcast business. Um, I, I, the reason I ask is I was on a different... I was on a station in Phoenix for a short time, and uh, but it was a different station. I was just curious if we had accidentally crossed paths or airwaves or something. No, but um, you know we'd love to do radio as well. But podcasts are keeping us very busy at the moment, so we'll see. Uh, you know, we really enjoyed doing radio, and we think there's a voice for this kind of information on radio. Well, I'm, uh, you know, radio is 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 my first love. I've I've done television, and and I I wrote for a couple of newspapers uh, briefly, off and on, but um, this is my favorite medium. Right. No, I think that there should be more programs like yours and like the one we did, which was called the Women's Eye, which focused on a lot of this positive material with these incredible people, and on radio. As you know, you just dial them up, and you can talk to them anywhere around the world, and it's live, and it's very exciting. Well, I yeah, I like I like live radio. I, d- I do a lot of pre-recorded things, just out of necessity because of scheduling. But uh, um, and and I wouldn't mind uh, going back to when I used to have uh, people call in. That was that was fun. Um, Pam, we're getting close to the end of our time, and I, I always want to make sure that we can let listeners know where they can find out more about you and all of your work, past, present, and future. Um, do, you have a, uh, do you have a website? Yes. Well, the website is called thewomenseye.com, and it's T-H-E-W-O-M-E-N-S-E-Y-E.com. It's a name I came up with when I was at the Cronkite School. Uh, and our book, our new book that's coming out at the end of the month, the beginning of May, is called 20 Williams Women Storytellers, as we know. But we have a web page. It's called womenstorytellersbook.com, where you can find out more information about that. Oh, cool. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, you know, someday we'll be in your local newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> well... Hopefully we'll be back on radio. You never know where the, to find us. On the online version, because uh, <laughs> the, the local newspaper isn't what it used to be, Pam. No, I know. <laughs> no, but we're trying to bring it back. But wouldn't it be nice, because that's, you know, I, I remember the days when we would, you know, we'd watch Walter Cronkite at 6 o'clock and then turn to our local newspaper for the rest of the story. Yes. No, the rest of the story, remember. There was a, 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 a segment, a broadcaster, who said, now here's the rest of the story, right? Yeah, and, and I can see his face, and I, 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 the name Paul, is escaping. Paul, his first name is Paul. Paul it's Harvey. The, the, yes, exactly. We interviewed him once in Chicago. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he was from Chicago. Well, I, we've, we've got to end it here, Pam, but it's been a real delight getting to know you a little bit, and uh, I hope maybe we can... Uh, our paths will cross again sometime. My guest is uh, Pamela Burke. She is the author of a new anthology that comes out this month called um, 
I'll get it here. 20 Women Storytellers Taking Action with Powerful Words and Images. Pamela, thanks so much. Oh, thank you. I'm going to send you a book. Well, thank you, Pam. I appreciate it. Okay, have a great day, Tom. Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to talk. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. Okay, bye now. Final segment of today's show coming up hey, next. <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Lion. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery 
is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I went to see a a play right here lately. It was one of them classical plays. And it was uh, was wrote by a fellow named William Shakespeare that lived over here in the old country here a while back. And it's a play, it's called Hamlet. And it was named after this young boy Hamlet that appeared in the play. And it was pretty good, except that they don't speak as good English as we do. <laughs> now, let's see. Hamlet, he, he, lived, he lived in this castle over in the old country with his mama and daddy. You know where it was that his daddy was king over this land. And also living with him there was a fellow named Claudius. Now, Claudius was Hamlet's uncle on his daddy's side. And before the play ever opened, this fellow Claudius plotted and killed Hamlet's daddy so that he might gain the throne and then married Hamlet's mama. And that made him Hamlet's stepdaddy. And, well, all do try to remember that if you can because you will need it later on. (laughs) Now, there was a fellow Polonius. He lived there. He was a kind of advisor to the king. And there was a fellow named Horatio. He was Hamlet's buddy. He lived there. Then there was a girl named Ophelia that was visiting there. He, she was Hamlet's sweetheart that he had met at BYPU. <laughs> and, uh, well, there's all, there's all kinds of maids and soldiers and stable boys and things like that that live there too, you know. And remember, before the play ever opens up, Hamlet's dad is already dead. And when it, when it opens up, it opens up on these two soldiers that was a standing guard one night. And this ghost come up on them. And one, 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 of them says, one of them says, hark. Said, no, they said hark a whole lot back then. <laughs> he, said, he says, hark, what thing is this I see before me? And the other one says, let us flee and seek out young Hamlet. For behold, it bears a visage like unto his father. And it, it did too. It looked just exactly like <laughs> You couldn't took a better picture uptown. They, they were in the house to get Hamlet, but he had just come in from high school and was tired and had went on to bed. But anyhow, they told him about it, and he got on up and put his britches on and went on outdoors with them. And when he got there, the ghost started talking to him. Says, "Behold, Hamlet. Says, look on me, for I am the ghost of thy father." 
Then it went on to tell him, you know, how it was that Claudius had plotted and killed him, you know, like I told you a while ago. Well, when it got on telling him, it made Hamlet swear to seek out vengeance on his former uncle and present stepdaddy, Claudius. And after Hamlet swore it, while well, the ghost went on off, and none of them ever seen it after that. And it, it was right there that Hamlet gave that soliloquy about being or not being. And, uh, well, for them that don't know, a soliloquy is a kind of a self-talk. You know, it is where you kindly, you know, sit and look away off and kindly talk to yourself. And that's what he was doing. Only he wasn't sitting down, he was walking. And when he, when he come close to the end of it, he come up on this young girl, Ophelia. And he says to himself, he says, soft, I see Ophelia fire. Well, he sat down and started talking to her. Asked her how she was and how her daddy was and how her mama was and different ones. And while he was talking, he looked and he seen a fella hiding behind a cedar chest. And he did, and he took out his sword and he run the fella. He run him upstairs and he run him downstairs. But he couldn't catch him and it made him mad and he come back to Ophelia mad at her. And he hit her in the face and he throwed her on the ground. And he, he, he says, get thee to a nunnery for thy face is a vile thing before my eyes. Now, it, it was right here that Hamlet first started acting like that he wasn't all that. <laughs> well, he... See... Well... See, he figured, he figured that if the people that plotted and killed his daddy thought that he wasn't right in his mind, they'd talk around him, you know? But, but they didn't. One night he was up in his mama's room telling her good night, and he looked over there and he seen these curtains rustle just the least little bit. And he eased out his sword, and he, he aged over to where it was the curtains was rustling, and he run the fella through. And the fella fell, and he seen it was that fella Polonius that I told you about a while ago. <laughs> well, what he'd done, he picked him up and took him over and throwed him out this little window in this creek that run by, and none of them ever missed him after that. <laughs> and it was right after that that this carnival come through. Sideshow, show folks, you know. They come through, and Hamlet had them to put on a show exactly the way that the murder of the king was committed. And let me tell you, when they got to the place in the play that the king was killed, Hamlet's stepdaddy got up out of his chair and he says, hold. He says, cease this wild carrying on and evil acting in the palace of the king. And he run them all out of the house. And it was right there that Hamlet first knowed that he was going to have to get even with his stepdaddy for killing his daddy. And it was also right there that Hamlet's stepdaddy knowed that he was going to have to get shut of that boy or he'd have trouble out of it. <laughs> well, what he done... What he'd done was the next day he put on a big sword fight between Hamlet and another fella. And he, he give this other fella a sword with a poison point on it. And he give Hamlet a plain sword and he had a bowl full of poison wine for Hamlet to drink just in case he won the sword fight. Well, he put up his hands and he says, lay on. And they went to it, Hamlet back the fella and he fellowed back Hamlet and back and forth like that for a while till pretty soon Hamlet got cut on the arm by that poison sword. And he commenced to weaken, but he fit harder than he ever did. And he kept backing the fellow off and backing him off till he run him through. And the fellow fell dead. And Hamlet went over to take a drink of that poison wine. And his mama, she knowed it was poison. She took it and drunk it herself, and she fell dead. And then Hamlet, with his last breath, went up to his stepdaddy and run him through. And the stepdaddy fell dead. 
And then Hamlet, he had done about all he could do, and he <laughs> fell down. <laughs> and it's a pretty good show. <laughs> and, and the moral of it is, though, I reckon, if you, if you was to ever kill a fella and then marry his wife, I'd be extra careful not to tell my stepson. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. I have to lay low for a while, so I'll be staying here inside. It's too dangerous out in the world. See you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride Without you here I hold on to this phone so tight And I'll whisper you a goodnight kiss I'll see you on the other side When I crawl out of my cage When the world is purified I will find you and I promise this I'll see you on the other side On the other side And I'll meet you with arms open wide I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side And I'll meet you with arms open wide I'll see you on the other side TomSumnerProgram.com Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Kind of a snowy day, actually. It's snowing even more than it was when I started this morning. But I want to say thanks to... Uh, all of my guests today, I hope you enjoyed uh, my conversation with Pamela Burke, the uh, author of the anthology 20 Women Storytellers. And uh, before that, um, I got a chance to talk with Dr. Neil Farber, author of Serendipity. And we started our conversations off today with um, Kitty Cheney Reed from IBM about a study they did. Uh, about uh, equality and inclusion for women leaders in corporate America. Interesting stuff on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, join us tomorrow. We have uh, a special uh, offering uh, for Easter uh, tomorrow on the show. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. 
we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.